aside from having to talk to me, how is your day going so far? Really, really good. I'm working on my set for, um, for the club on Sunday and having a nice day, looking out the window, watching it snow and not stick. <laughs> okay, so you are dialing in from New York. Yes, I am. Yeah. Yeah, Brooklyn. There you go. What makes you stay put in New York all these years later? And I say that because of the success you've had with BBC and you're always touring the world. You have so many different job titles at this point. I do, but I one of my one of my job titles would be New York lover. I am passionately in love with this city. And I still, to this day, I'll be on the J train going over the Williamsburg Bridge. And I'll look at that skyline and just think, that is my city. That is my city. New York is my home and it always will be, I think. <laughs> well, you were from Oregon before it was cool mm. to be from Oregon. I, I like to think so. My mom was my mom was an early adopter. She was a pioneer. <laughs> Nowadays, people want to be from Oregon. But hey, back to you. Uh, yeah, the DJing. Tell me more about that. It's a long-term residency? Yes, I um, am starting a monthly residency at a club in Manhattan called Red Eye that has just opened up. And I'm so happy about it because it, it, it is one of the best sounding clubs That's a big thing for a DJ. And the same guys that are doing Red Eye are also taking over the Ice Palace on Fire Island. And I am going to be DJing there every Sunday doing a disco tea dance from four to eight. And I'm really excited about that because Ice Palace has been around for over 50 years oh. and is one of the oldest dance floors in America that has consistently been catering to the LGBTQ plus community. And even before it was legal for gay people to dance together on a dance floor, they were dancing at the Ice Palace. And um, and so it's, it's just so exciting to be there and to be under the sun, DJing sunshiny, great disco classics to everyone who wants to come and experience it. And the thing that's so great about the Ice Palace is that it's still open. You can't mm -hmm. you can't dance to disco at Studio 54. You can see a show there, but you can't dance to disco there. Right. You can't dance to disco at Paradise Garage. You can dance to disco at the Ice Palace. So I hope people come down and do that. <laughs> Dialing in from Long Island, that's probably only nine miles away from me, but do you have history around Long Island besides Fire Island? I do have history on Long Island. I have um, relatives, actually in-laws, in Bethpage, Islip, uh, Port Townsend, um, Patchogue, wow. all up and down the island. So yeah, I'm very, I'm very familiar with Long Island, and I'm and I love people. I hear a Long Island accent, and that feels like home. <laughs> Most of those towns you just mentioned now have a real venue. Long Island was having a shortage of live venues, but I don't remember any Scissor Sisters gigs on Long Island. Did you play the Paramount once? I don't. I don't know that we actually played Long Island, Long Island. I mean, we have played in Brooklyn and Queens, but yeah. <laughs> but not on the island proper. No. And um, and that should be remedied, definitely. So as I alluded to earlier, so many job titles and areas you found success in. I'm the one saying you're successful, not you. So <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> modesty has not been pierced, but the BBC stuff, the actual D DJing stuff that we're going to see in your residency, you created something that became a comic of sorts, you've done solo stuff, et cetera, et cetera. Was it the goal all along to be this diversified in your career? 
I've always liked to try different things. And I think ultimately what I do in my work is tell stories. And if, if I'm nothing else, I'm a storyteller. And that's what I really like to do. That's what I like to do as a DJ. Mm -hmm. um, when you're on my dance floor, I like to tell you a story with the music and there is a narrative arc. And um, I love telling stories from history and music history, all kinds of different history. And I'm working on that right now as well with a podcast that's oh. diving into history majorly. So that's coming out in the autumn sometime. I so, didn't know yeah. about the podcast. <laughs> I know I'm not, I'm actually not promoting it, but we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves. But um, history is something I've always been really, really interested in. And it's one of the reasons why I still continue to love New York City is I'm just so obsessed with the history of this place. And, um, and it's fun to be a part of it and to, to help be, uh, you know, part of the lineage and telling it and sharing it with as many people as I can. One of the things I find most fascinating about your career is you and the Scissor Sisters are on that list of New York City artists where the fan base was always 20 times more in Europe than here, oh, even though yeah. you're from here. Yeah. It, it's like you, we are scientists, fun-loving criminals, not yeah. a surf. It's that list. Yeah. When did you kind of realize that that was a good thing in that you can be quasi-anonymous and go about your day, but then you designate, okay, it's work time. Now I'll be famous over there. I really, really enjoy it. I, I liken it to kind of being a superhero because you get your Clark Kent moments where nobody knows who you are and you're just the average dude on the street. And then, yeah, you get, the, you get those moments where you're like, okay, and now I will be a pop star. And it's really yeah. nice because I have met people who are unable to turn it off. And, uh, and that can be really, really difficult when you just you know, want to go to a music festival and, you know, drink a beer at 2 p.m. with your friends or something and and be anonymous. So um, it is really great. It is really great. And New York City is a fantastic to be a fantastic place to be anonymous in. So, yeah, even when you're famous, you can kind of be anonymous. <laughs> I've seen a lot of famous people on the streets of New York City and nobody was bugging them. So it was it's a pretty great place for that. Back to the DJing thing. Do you know how many months you're booked for initially? Um, I have an ongoing relationship with Red Eye. So I think this is going to be um, about a four month residency until Ice Palace kicks in. Um, and then I'll be back again in the autumn to do to do our sleaze party and, um, and whatever else might be coming along. There might be more, you never know. <laughs> do you have a style for when you DJ of what you usually play or is it really called on the fly? It depends on the gig because I play a lot of different styles of music, mostly disco and house. And it it will depend on the crowd and how they respond to things. And for something like, say, a gay pride gig, I will try and throw as many anthems in there as possible. But if it's something like the gig I'm doing on Sunday, it really uh, is about what kind of music that people respond to and also taking them on a journey and not necessarily playing some something that everybody knows and really getting people into the discovery of music because that's what I think a really good DJ does with their dance floor is you know give them what they want to hear but also introduce them to new things. 
Well, two questions, and then I'm going to let you run. run All right. Through. And these are <laughs> stupid questions that stupid. do not necessarily promote you and your greatness. DJing. <laughs> okay. The first one is, I would say you and your crew popularized Scissor as much as South Park did. But are okay. you aware of the professional wrestling tag team that trademarked Scissor Me and their merchandise related to scissoring of the moment? I am not familiar with them. I'm woefully ignorant of the WW world. <laughs> well, this tag team called the Acclaimed, uh, their catchphrase is scissor me daddy ass. Wow. Wow. And so crowds actually chant that now. So uh, one day you'll go down that rabbit hole and see what you may have inspired. Writing it down right now. I've got my pen out. <laughs> the Acclaimed. Claimed. The Acclaimed. Okay. All right. The last question here is, what is animatronic watching on television these days? Do you have a recommendation or two for someone who needs a new show? Well, I am obsessed with what, what we do in the shadows. Um, that is probably, I, I just, I think I've watched every season at least four or five times. Um, and I'm, I am a ridiculous fan of RuPaul's Drag Race. I watch new episodes every week. I just, I just love drag queens. Um, yeah, um, trying to think of what else, what I'm, what else I'm obsessed with. I really enjoyed the the um, Chippendales uh, season that or series that came out recently. I thought that was very, very good. Yeah. So you continue to run the gamut of intellectual and lowest common denominator. <laughs> always, <laughs> always, always. What What is the latest cult documentary coming out? I'm watching it. I'm watching it. Definitely. Wow. Well, Anna, <laughs> you never cease to amaze. Congratulations <laughs> on just keeping interesting and having wonderful projects that appeal to a lot of different people while it's still undeniably you all these years Oh, later. thank you so much. And um, yeah, Disco Ain't Dead, come on down and experience it. <laughs> Aside from doing press where you get asked the same questions over and over and over again, is the day going well for you? Yeah, not bad. We're in uh, Houston, Texas today. Had a nice little walk around. We've been uh, having crappy weather follow us around this whole tour. And today is like the first day there's actually been sunshine. So uh, yeah, just getting out for a walk and soaking up some sun. So you're out there promoting the not yet out album Dinosaur. When did you actually finish Dinosaur? Oh man, we must have wrapped <clears throat> probably June of 22. So it's it's coming up now almost a year. <clears throat> but, wow. Uh, yeah. Is that a case of the label going, we need to find the right release date for this? Or what is it that held it off for so long? I think it's a little bit of that, yeah. It's uh, finding the right timing to, uh, to release everything. Um, I know, like, uh, I think the first single, Dinosaur, came out in October. So you want to let that breathe for a little while, get the, uh, the anticipation for the record to, to build and build and build. And... Uh, here we go. It's on Friday. The big, uh, the big album release. Can't wait. St. Patrick's Day, the 17th. Well, did you know that Dinosaur was a true single and worthy being the album title track when you made it? Uh, when we were in the studio, there was, uh, there was a bunch of songs where we like, these are really, really solid songs. These could be singles. And uh, 
yeah, we had label people and management coming, uh, and Dinosaur was definitely one of the uh, the top runners for it. Um, so I think, yeah, it, it's a great first single for us. It just uh, sort of comes out of the uh, the gates hard, uh, aggressive, uh, and really sort of announces that Theory of Dead Man is back and we're rocking and uh, we're ready to go. So yeah, I think Dinos Dinosaur was uh, definitely a front runner for the first single. As far as the title of the uh, the album, we're we're terrible with this, this kind of thing. We, uh, we don't ever think about what an album is actually going to be named. Uh, so we drag our heels and uh, it's, it's usually the, the very last thing that we, uh, we come up really? with. Yeah. So uh, we went over a bunch of stuff, but dinosaur, it just kept coming back to dinosaur. I think dinosaur has got great imagery and uh, you know, it, it's, uh, it's just a cool word and it, it brings so many thoughts and pictures to people's, mine so uh yeah it uh it stuck this tour you're playing a mix of arenas and large theaters so i have to assume it's it's like a 90 to 120 minute set a night how much of dinosaur are you playing on these dates uh well this is a co-headline tour with skillet so we each get 70 minutes 70 uh we're playing we're playing three tracks from uh from dinosaur now uh, and you know, this is our eighth record. So, uh, we've got a lot of material to, uh, fall back right. on and it's, it's hard to make a set list. Uh, we, uh, for the first couple of weeks, we were playing around with it, <coughs> excuse me. Um, and, uh, it, it feels pretty solid where we're at right now. Um, but yeah, we got, we got three songs that we're playing off the, the new record. Yeah. You just said something which was leaning towards something I was very curious about, which is when you have eight records and each album you release between two and five tracks of singles and odds are they all tracked or rather they all charted on some chart somewhere oh that was an active rock top 10 oh that was a modern rock number 37 you have this point where you could theoretically do a 15 song show and still have skipped a bunch of the singles so at this point who puts together the set list or how does it come together uh, the four of us, we, we sit and brainstorm what we think uh, will work. And uh, it, it usually takes uh, the first week or two of the tour to, to sort of flesh it out and, and find our groove and find what flows. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's, it's difficult. And unfortunately, with a 70 minute set that we're doing, people are leaving, you know, wanting a bit more, which I guess isn't always a bad thing. It's always nice to, to, to leave people wanting more. And uh, right. Normally on a regular headline set, we are doing, you know, 90 to 100 minutes. So uh, we look forward to coming back and, and doing a full show. But uh, us and Skillet and uh, Santa Sonia, it's a it's a power packed show and uh, it, it's a whole night of hits. Lots of hits between the three acts, but you're saying 70 minutes. Let's be honest, the intro music's probably about two, uh, the guitar changeovers and the how's everyone doing tonight. That's probably six minutes of that. The fake leaving the stage to come back on for the encore. That's probably about three minutes. So at the end of the day, <laughs> it's like 55. Well, we don't count intro music. And uh, we've decided with two of the bands that we don't do encores. It's We play 70 minutes through. And uh, I mean, Tyler is such a great front man. He's got such a hilarious sense of humor that yeah. the banter between songs is is just as entertaining as the songs themselves. <clears throat> guys uh confirm my theory no pun intended right there that the more serious the band name and the lyrics the funnier the people are off stage 
In other words, okay. like Megadeth, there are a bunch of clowns off stage. Theory right. of the Dead, same thing. You're comedy people. Was there initially hesitance to kind of show that side of yourselves? Yep, absolutely. I think the first record, it was, uh, you know, me and Muggin got to look real tough for the pictures. And, and uh, you know, it takes a while to grow into your own and, and to be comfortable in your own skin. And uh, we were just uh, four kids from a small town in Canada that, uh, you know, we were thrown into the music biz and uh, try to find our way. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, right off the bat, you, you, you want to look like uh, the tough rockers. But uh, slowly, as uh, confidence grows in yourselves and uh, your true personalities come out. Right. One thing I've never been certain about, I've always said the name Theory of a Dead Man, and people go, no, their name is Theory. Are you in some parts of the world just Theory? No. I mean, uh, actually, uh, the last two records we actually released under the name Theory. Yeah. Uh, it just kind of signaled a little bit of a departure from what we were doing before. Um, but I mean, we answer to both. We're, we've always been Theory of a Dead Man. Um, this record is going to be Theory of a Dead Man again. Um, but yeah, we, Theory, Theory of a Dead Man. We just, uh, it gets uh, cumbersome writing that thing out every time uh, <laughs> we need to sign an autograph or, or what we're, whatever we're doing. So uh, for everybody's uh, ease, we, we, we went to Theory for a bit. But no, uh, Theory of a Dead Man is who we are. Well, that same name change happened with the WWE wrestler Austin Theory. For a little while, he was just Theory. Did that cause any name marketplace confusion where there was almost a trademark filing injunction? I don't think so. I, uh, I would think I would have heard about it, but no. Um, no, I'm not big on, on the wrestling scene, so I don't know too much about it. Uh, I'm more of the, the 80s wrestling. It was always my heart. <laughs> Totally understood. Uh, 80s music as well. Like, what were the records that you really came up on that made you say, hey, I want to play bass? Um, well, it was uh, <clears throat> Appetite for Destruction that really got me into to rock and roll when I was uh, a younger kid. Um, that was huge on me. I was kind of into more 90s hip hop and stuff at that point. And I had some uh, some neighbors and cousins that were really into rock and roll. And showed me some of these records and uh man uh that's what guns and roses was the band that really that really flipped it for me um and then i got heavily into aerosmith and metallica and you know and then growing up in vancouver we were only two hours north of seattle and that was all when the seattle scene was starting to hit too so the pearl gems and the sound gardens alice and chains all these bands were so influential on me uh, to to want to pick up some instruments and, and play. But at the same time, British Columbia is where the key albums by Motley Crue, Metallica, uh, David Lee Roth, bon Solo Reader, all the Bob yeah. Rock stuff happened right there. Growing up, did you know that that was going on in Canada? Not at all. No, that would have been sort of mid late eighties, and you know I was oblivious to. Uh, the history uh, that uh, Vancouver was creating in the rock scene and what Bob Rock uh, and Bruce Fairburn too, uh, two, yeah. two guys that uh, created such magical albums in Vancouver. The rumor I heard, and I don't know if you've ever heard this before, was one of the reasons that those bands wanted to record in Canada with Bob Rock was it would be considered a Canadian album, therefore slot them for Canadian album airplay. Do you ever hear that rumor? 
I don't, yeah, I don't know. Cause I, the SOCAN is what you're referring to. It's yes. uh, the Canadian uh, agency that makes sure that uh, Canada talent gets played on their air, airwaves. Uh, but I think you got to meet like three of four criteria in order to get the SOCAN stamp or the uh, CanCon is what it's called. I'm sorry. Yeah. Canadian content, CanCon. Um, but maybe that helped them. Yeah. Cause uh, they would have had, I think two of them right there, you have to have a Canadian producer and yeah. produce it in Canada. Uh, they would have needed another third, I think. But uh, well, they yeah, all makes had sense. it. Where, sorry to cut you off. They all secretly had not Metallica, but Motley Crue. Yes, David Lee Roth, Bon Jovi. They all had the Canadian backing vocalists who were secretly singing on the on the sessions, but just got special thanks in the album credits. Like right, Mark there Fons you go. And all that. Uh -huh. So there's the third. It there's makes sense. It, it helps a lot in Canada for sure. I mean, we've had it throughout our career, which was nice. Yeah. Well, down to the last two questions before I let you go. The, the first one is, this is a really big 2023, the way that you've started off. Is 2024 for Theory of the Dead Man already planned at all? And I'm not asking for the exclusive. I'm just curious how far ahead the band plans things. Uh, yes, we, uh, we basically have touring planned till the end of the year. And then uh, we are starting talking on where we're going in the new year as well. Um, so yeah, we're, we're, we're talking about it already. Wow, okay, fantastic. And the last question I have for you, do you have a TV recommendation that you could pass along? A show the wife and I can start watching because every time we say we're gonna watch a show, we watch it in four days and we go, what's next? Well, okay, so I just want your honor is one that uh, the first season I loved and I know there's a new season out. I haven't started that yet, but um, I recently got into the, uh, the F1 docu-series oh. um, uh, drive to survive. I knew nothing about formula one racing uh, and now I'm super hooked on it. And I think the season just started. I watched the last race last weekend. So now all of a sudden I'm a F1 fan. Uh, I don't know if you're into sports or racing or a documentary series kind of stuff, but uh, that drive to survive is uh, is really well done. So that and your honor are going on the list. Well, Dean, thank you for your time. Hope to see you live in the New York area in the near future, but keep up all the great work and congrats on Dinosaur. My pleasure. And thank you for your time. Uh, and thank you for, uh, for that. Outrocast. I interview a lot of people who have hundreds of thousands of fans or millions of fans, but not a lot of Guinness World Record holders. Is that one of your proudest accomplishments right there? Thank you so much. I would say it's definitely one of my most unique accomplishments for sure. Definitely one of my proudest as well. And uh, definitely also one of the most crazy kind of all-consuming things that I've done so it definitely took up a big chunk of my life and so yeah I would definitely look at it as one of my proudest accomplishments and something that honestly sets me apart from from most young artists and yeah. <laughs> I would say what also sets you apart is that the content that you put out isn't just music but it's funny stuff it you don't know how to describe you and what you do you know is she a singer is she a content creator is she a world record holder how do you like to be thought of or described I I mean first of all thank you so much that means a lot. I'm so glad that you appreciate my um, lifestyle content and all that stuff because I actually started social media just because I was a musician and I've sung um, and played instruments 
from a really young age. So, right. I mean, I would prefer singer artist, but I'm just so grateful to be able to have the opportunity to, you know, be successful in multiple fields. And obviously I'm still working on it, but you know, I'm, I, I love everything I do right now. And so I'm, I just feel super blessed and lucky that I get to do that as a job, so to speak, and, you know, be able to yeah. kind of make a living off it. It's better than having a newspaper route, I would guess. Yeah, you know, I, I do love getting up at 5 a.m. to just walk around the neighborhood. But. Yeah, when I was your age, I think I worked at The Gap. That was my after-school job around 17, 18, that kind of thing. Did you ever have to do anything like that, or had you're just a content creator and musician at this point? I mean, so I graduated high school last year. Um, I started I started content creation when I was 16 and that was before that you know I wasn't making any money on music <laughs> it was all just uh, like put this song out and hope maybe one person listens to it like wait for my big break and then I you know you learn that there's no such thing um, right. so then you know you try and you try and find other I try and I tried to find other ways to grow a fan base and to be able to do this independently kind of my my biggest goal in in life and with music is always to be in control of it myself and to not be waiting for like a magical someone to come and help me with right. with my career and so starting my own platforms and and ha having somewhere to put out all of all of these things that I wanted to put out was really it was really amazing for me as as I was able to not rely on on other people for for Absolutely. what I wanted to do so I mean I had a manager tell me when I had blonde hair that I looked like I should be working at the gap but <laughs> never never <laughs> I've been blessed enough to never um to to not have a normal job yet yeah <laughs> fingers crossed well we were connected because you have that upcoming interactive platform content creation concert thing happening is that through you uh, it is through Yum. Um, it's through South by Southwest as well. And I did a project with them a couple months ago where I filmed an original song. It was the first time I'd done any type of super crazy metaverse type thing before. There was so many cameras. I can't even, I could not even count. Um, it was, it was so incredible. I learned Sorry, I learned so much and it was really, it was really an amazing experience. And so I'm so happy to be able to, you know, do this showcase with, with human with South by Southwest and also everyone from that company is just incredible. Yeah, I first learned about it before I knew you were involved that Paul Oakenfold, the legendary DJ, he was participating in that. How yeah. did you find out about Yum and this opportunity? Did it come through them seeing your YouTube channel and going, hey, you'd be perfect or was it a management thing? um I believe that they saw me online and reached out so I think it was both a management thing and a saw me online thing <laughs> got it the old business model was hey you put out an album with 10 to 15 songs you tour it for two years in your case you have new content every week every couple of days maybe even how much time do you have to spend on your creativity and planning at this point? Because again, we're seeing new stuff from you all the time. It's not just waiting for one thing every two years. You know, sometimes I wished that it was the waiting for something, like waiting for an album, and then you just kind of pop out out of the woodwork. You're like, here's my project. And everyone's like, yo, I love this music. But, you know, the game has changed. And yeah. so I feel like 
you, you just have to take advantage of it and and really find where you where you love to sit. I, I would say right now, I kind of go through different phases. Like last year I was part of a content house. So I would say the majority of my time was spent learning about content creation and putting out more lifestyle content while I was still going to the studio and stuff like that. Right, right now in my life, I'm just, I'm a studio rat. I just live there. Um, I do very little else with my time. And so I'm trying to, I'm trying to right now find more innovative ways of incorporating kind of my studio life into my content. So I, I would say I'm, I'm doing less on the lifestyle content creation side, aside from like regular YouTube videos and TikToks and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. I'm spending more time on the music because I actually am getting ready to to drop the project and so just trying to gear up towards that ramp up towards that and ultimately music is where I love to put the majority of my time so I'm very happy with my with my split right now. Hey yo check one two this is Flavor Flav and I don't disappear fast because right now you are watching the Paltrow cast. Paltrow cast.